If not, uh, let's turn to the Gospel of Matthew today. Matthew chapter 19 is where we are going to begin reading. We're going to be picking up, admittedly, in the middle of a scene, in the middle of a certain setting uh, that is familiar to us all. It's where we feel like we need to begin today, and then we're going to read down through, including the 16th verse of the 20th chapter, the following chapter in Scripture. I want to say to begin that we hear a lot about the call of God. We hear people say that they felt the call of God on their life. We, we see people take great risk in obedience to uh, what they profess and may very well be a claim of a call of God on their life. We, we hear preachers tell about being called of God to preach. But what is the call of God? We hear a lot about it. We, we hear about it and preachers talk about it and Christians everywhere talk about the call of God. But what does it mean to be called of God? What is this call of God? What does God want from you? What does God want for you? When does God call? Where does he call? How does he call? And how do you know when he has? I ask these questions because I think sometimes we can be guilty of starting conversations about God, the Bible, and Christianity. We can start those in the middle of a sentence, assuming knowledge on the part of those that we're talking to that doesn't exist. And so I want to start with a very simple thought today and end with a very simple thought today. And that is, what is the call of God? I want to answer these questions, at least some of them that we've posed here. I, I want to do so without making any assumptions as best as I can. And that's, that in itself is difficult to do. To approach a question like this one, and try not to make any assumptions on your part of what you might know or what you might not know. So I want to, and I feel a compelling to answer this question, what is the call of God, and answer it as simply as I can. And in order to do that, we have to go to the Word of God. It's, it's not my answer, what is the call of God, that matters. It's not your answer of what is the call of God that matters. It's what does God say his call is? What does it mean to be called by him? So we want to answer these questions and we want to answer this specific question. And I would ask you to listen with the same set of parameters of assuming nothing. I would encourage you, especially if you've been, been saved for many, many years and you've read the Bible many times, and you've heard thousands of sermons, and you've heard thousands of Bible studies, and you've listened to thousands of sermons on the radio or the internet, and you've, you've just been saturated, and it's a wonderful blessing if that's the case, if you've heard again and again and again what the call of God is. But I would ask you to almost try your very best today to listen with fresh ears and not make any assumptions, not go through this, I already know that, and listen for something else. 
Because I think when we understand the call of God, it's very simplicity creates in us an understanding and an awareness of what life is all about. And I think when we make assumptions and we move past certain things, we can miss them on our way. And there's no danger for you in listening like this. Some might think there is, but there's no danger in listening with an open mind and heart. If you're right, nothing I say will change your mind. But if you're wrong, you'd certainly be foolish to ignore the truth. So let's listen and let's look at what Jesus says here. Because thankfully, we're not left without an answer to the question. Many places in the Bible answer this question of what is the call of God. And one of those places is here in Matthew chapter 19. Beginning, as we said, in verse 27. Then Peter said in reply to Jesus, See, we, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too. Whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour. And the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour. You have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge me, or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. There there are far too many specific doctrinal truths to be pulled from this parable of the Lord to deal with in in one setting. 
I want to focus today on answering, as I've said, the very simple question, what is the call of God? What is it? And I, and I would suspect that you already know the answer. And if you do know the answer, I want you to think about that answer. This passage, of course, immediately follows the account of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said to him and asked him the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to go to heaven? What must I do, we might say today, to be saved? We know that exchange that happened between them. How Jesus first said to him and gave him what he knew that the, he, he knew already the young man thought he had satisfied. He said to follow the commandments. And the young ruler said, I've done all of these things. But Jesus then puts him to the real test that he fails, the real call, which he fails. And, and he goes away heartbroken and sad. But Peter then, that's the setting. And that's, the, that's when Peter stops and says to the Lord, Lord, we've, we have forsaken all. He's speaking of himself and, his, and the 11 others with him and maybe others even that were present. He says, we have forsaken all and followed you. What will we receive? So already we find out what the call of God is in one sense, and that is the forsaking of all and following Christ. That's the call of God. And that's not anything new to anyone who has read the Scripture, who has heard many sermons at all, but that is the truth, the very simple answer to the question, the call of God is to forsake all and follow Christ. Luke 14.33, Jesus says, Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I say that again to reinforce the reality that Jesus has expressed to us what the call of God is in our life. Any one of you, Jesus says, who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. He does not say that anyone who does not renounce all that he has can never be an effective disciple, can never be a good disciple, can never be a well-known disciple. He simply says he cannot be my disciple. As many times as we've heard this call, it should never fail to wrestle our attention away from the things that they, it so easily sets on in this world. Jesus has just told us plainly. He's just told this rich young ruler what the call of God is. After this rich young ruler thought he had done what was necessary, Jesus says, sell everything you have and follow me. And of course, we know that the rich young ruler failed that test. He did not sell what he had and give, gave to the poor and follow Christ. He did not forsake all and follow him. But Jesus tells us there, he tells us in Luke, Paul talks about it in Philippians chapter 3, when he says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For this sake, he says, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. If there is something in modern Christianity today that it gets wrong about the gospel, surely it must be this. It's this that one must forsake all to become a follower of Christ. 
Remember again that the rich young ruler was willing to obey to a point, wasn't he? In his own mind, he thought he had, he had done what was necessary. He was willing to obey to a point. He was willing to honor his father and mother. He said that he'd done it from the time he was a child. He was willing to do his best to follow the commands of Scripture all of his life long. And no doubt, in a, in a hope that that would be enough, he comes to Jesus and says, Master, what must I do? Just in order to be certain and to be sure, because he was willing to follow to a point. But he wasn't willing to forsake all. But that's the call. That's the call. Is, is a willingness to forsake all and follow Christ. When Jesus puts the true test in front of this rich young ruler, he failed. And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect. In verse 21 of chapter 19, go, sell what you possess, give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. The call of God, if you notice, did you see the two parts of it? There are two parts of this singular call of God. Two pieces of the same puzzle piece of the call of God. Number one, sell everything or forsake all. And two, follow me. This is always, this is always in Jesus' calling. This is always in God's call to us as his creation. Forsake all and follow me. Which of these two might be holding you back. Which one? One or the other? Maybe both. Perhaps you see the emptiness of the riches of the world. Maybe you see that. Maybe you understand that. Maybe you get a glimpse every now and again that the riches of this life are futile. They don't really make anyone happy anyway. It usually just complicates things. It makes things more difficult. It sends them down these terrible paths. How many people who have gained the world have we seen come crashing down in depression and futility? And maybe you've seen that. You've seen the futility of seeking the world's riches. You, you see the the senselessness perhaps that you cannot hold all that the world has anyway. And so forsaking the world is not overly difficult for you. It's the following Christ that is. But the call of God includes both. Maybe you're not willing to follow Christ and give him your life. If that's the case and you see the futility of the world, the senselessness of seeking the world's riches, and you understand that that's not what life is all about, but you're unwilling to follow Christ, you're going to live a life of terrible depression and emptiness, senselessness of its own kind, seeing the emptiness of the world, but never seeing the fullness of Christ. First, it is a call to forsake all, And it is a call to follow Christ. But maybe that's not your problem. Maybe you see the truth of Jesus' claims to be the very Son of God, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, eternal with God in the beginning. By Him were all things created. You see that. You believe that even to a a point. 
You know that you have great confidence in the fact that Jesus is who he said he was, that he is now at the right hand of God. You understand that. And so it's not so hard for you to follow him because, or to want to follow him somewhat like this rich young ruler. There is something in you that wants to serve God, that wants to be right in his eyes, but there's some treasure in this world you're unwilling to forsake. And if that's the case, you're not going to obey the call of God because not only is it to follow Christ, it's to forsake the world. Maybe again, there's some treasure in this world you're unwilling to forsake so that you might truly follow Christ. Maybe that treasure's wealth. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. Whatever that it is, it's something you're unwilling to let go of. And so long as you're unwilling to let go of it, you will not obey the call of God, which is this twofold, forsake all and follow me. Having one foot in the door and one foot out. Having a, a desire to, be, to live a life of godliness and yet Never releasing yourself to put both feet in and to follow God fully because you're still trying to follow something in the world as well. And as much as someone might say, surely this type of radical obedience to God is not necessary to gain heaven. Surely God is okay with a heart that just wants to please him but is unwilling to forsake the world. Surely God will be okay with that. But he isn't. He said so in his word. He said it to the Laodicean church, because you're lukewarm, I want to spew you out of my mouth. You're not hot. You're not cold. You haven't decided really what you want to do, and you live your life. And if the first struggle of being willing to forsake the world because you see the emptiness in it, but not willing to follow Christ, if that leads to an empty life, the type of life that is lived by a desire to serve Christ, but not willing to forsake the world is a life of double-mindedness, instability, never knowing exactly where you're going and why. But the call of God is all in. Forsake all and follow me. Whichever might be your struggle, struggle, there will not be true submission to Christ without forsaking the world and a full-throated, unapologetic following of Christ. Before leaving this point, I want to make one thing clear. This is an ongoing process in the life of a believer. It is not as though we do not stumble on our way we do not merely one time in our past have this moment and then from that point on it's perfect obedience and perfect willingness and perfect forsaking of the world and a perfect following of Christ in our life. That's not how it goes. This is a daily warfare and a daily struggle. We are called to die daily. There will be times when we stumble, but inwardly we will remember that our desire is to honor God, to please Him, to forsake the world, to follow Christ but it's not going to be perfectly done in our life. I don't want you to miss that. Some will beat you up over the head with their Bibles when they don't understand what they're trying to say. There's an elephant in the middle of the church when it comes to the call of God, and it's what is it? It sounds almost crazy to say. 
But how many churches do you suppose are meeting today where no one's addressing the elephant in the middle of the church and the elephant in the middle of the church is this. What is the call of God? It's to forsake all and follow me. This is the elephant that so many are ignoring in both pulpit and pew. Is the church assembled? Are we here to just play church and play it being a nice Christian and good people? Or are we here to obey the call of God? To forsake all and follow Christ? From Sunday to Sunday, do we go to church and and maybe pretend that we don't see the elephant in the middle of the room, that we don't see this call of God somehow, that we don't see the all-consuming call of Christ on our lives, or, and do we convince ourselves that there's no need for such extremism or such extreme measures as forsaking all to commit to Christ? He's okay with you just as you are. He just wants you to be happy and content where you are and to go out into the world and get all that you have, and he's going to be a nice little extra. The elephant in the middle of the room of Christianity is the call of God itself. Forsake all and follow me. Which side of that may be your struggle, but if you're like me, when I was considering this question as I was studying it, it makes my flesh uncomfortable. It does. It, it, it makes my flesh hesitate. This call of God to forsake all and follow him in the ears of many who are unspiritual. And if not guided, there might be a point in a time to have deep conversations. But in the ears of the world, this sounds radical and irresponsible, but it's the call of God and it cannot be said any other way and harmonized with scripture. Forsake all and follow me. It's simple. And in its simplicity, we often ignore it. But when I am distant from him, from God, the discomfort in my flesh when I wrestle with the call of God on my life is palpable. It is, it is experienced because I know I am his and he's called me to forsake the world and to follow him. And my flesh, this carnal flesh that yet remains with me as Paul taught so well in the book of Romans and in the other New Testament letters that he wrote about this warfare that goes on when we get saved. We're not finished with sin. That's one thing we're looking forward to when we get to heaven. But for now, we still wrestle with this carnal mind and heart. And when I am distant from God and I allow my life to go in such a way that I'm not reading and praying and considering and and, and doing what the things that God has called me to do, when I come and I am confronted with the call of God to forsake all and follow him, my flesh immediately gets uncomfortable. And that's why it's an elephant in the middle of the room of Christianity, because a lot of ministers, unfortunately, and Christian people today just don't want to be uncomfortable, unwilling to wrestle with the call of God, to be uncomfortable for a little while, but when I'm close to God, and those of you who know God, I hope this rings true to you. When I'm close to Him, though my flesh quakes in fear, perhaps, my spirit soars because I understand the wonderful, um, unspeakable blessing that it is to willingly be a given the call of God and to respond and say, yes, I will. 
I'm going to let go of the things of the world that I've been seeking after. I'm going to forsake all. I'm not going to follow my own will or someone else's in my life. God, I'm going to follow you. That makes my heart sing when it can say that with words that are with a heart that is true and with a heart that is not divided. And that is the constant struggle of the Christian life. And it is the struggle at the moment of conversion that must be chosen. Am I going to forsake all and follow Christ or am I going to do one or the other and never get either blessing that God is going to tell us about in a minute. So when I'm distant from him, my flesh is uncomfortable. When I'm close to him, my spirit is joyful at the thought that I could give him something that would bring praise and honor to him. Do you remember when in the book of Acts when that new church, that young church was first experiencing persecution, the first time that the hand of, of Satan openly and outwardly with, a, with an open and physical persecution was, was driven onto the church. Do you remember what they said? They said they went away joyful that they could suffer for Christ. And that was a people who knew the call of God on their life and had responded correctly. I pray today that you have come to a reality of the response to the call of God and that whatever your condition, whether you're physically uncomfortable in the flesh, but spiritually you are striving to be what God wants you to be, whatever that situation might describe you today, I want to share with you just briefly today some thoughts on the hope that lies in the call of God that I pray will push you towards Christ and away from the world. I hope and pray that the Spirit of God will use His Word to drive you toward Christ and away from the world. That is my unapologetic aim and purpose. I want to encourage you to throw away your life for the sake of Christ so that you might actually and truly find it. I want you to abandon all your hopes and dreams in the world so that you might find the one true hope, which is Christ Jesus the Lord. Because the call of God is that. Forsake all and follow me. And the question that comes to mind is why would anyone do this? Comes to the natural man. Comes to our carnal thoughts. Why would anyone why would anyone forsake all and follow Christ? There are times when someone's actions demand an explanation and certainly a child of God who is fully committed and responding to the call of God in their life, certainly that is one of those times. Why would a Christian forsake the riches, the comforts, the pleasures of this life? Why would they do this? Why would they invite trouble into their lives because of their belief in Christ? Why would they risk losing their fathers and their mothers and their brothers and their sisters and their friends and their wealth and their health? Why would they do this? Why would they respond to the call of God? Well, Jesus answers the question for us, doesn't he? In Matthew, this reading that we just gave in the 29th verse, Jesus says this in answer somewhat to Peter's question. What are we going to receive? We've forsaken all. Jesus says everyone. We don't want to miss that. Everyone 
There's no exceptions. When you respond to the call of God in your life, what Jesus is going to say is going to be true for you. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake. And that's an important phrase. But he goes on, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. They're going to receive a hundredfold and eternal life. And I looked that up in every English translation about that I have. And that connecting word and was in there every time. We not only receive eternal life, that's what we often think of. And it is an unexplainable, unspeakable blessing. When you forsake all and follow Christ, you're going to have eternal life. And that's what we think of, and we should. It's understood. It's familiar by anyone familiar with the it's understood and familiar to anyone familiar with the Bible and what it teaches. And it's it is an immense promise. We who have forsaken all and followed Christ are going to receive eternal, unending, unchanging, immutable life. But that's not it. That's not all. We're going to receive, he says, a hundredfold. What does he mean by this? You're going to receive a hundredfold and eternal life. It's not to downplay one against the other, but I do want to bring out the fact that we're going to receive a hundredfold and eternal life. What does he mean by this? I think he was vague on purpose because... I think we could go down a list and we could go and spend all of the rest of the afternoon talking about what he might have thought and what he is included in this hundredfold. Because I'll tell you this, eternal life apart from the power, the blessings, and the presence of God is not a wonderful thing. It's the worst kind of curse you could imagine. Eternal life apart from God, apart from the the blessing of God, would not be something you would want. It would be something you would loathe a hundredfold. We could begin to list the, ex- the other things that we that have forsaken all and followed Christ will receive. Why would anyone do this? Let's just begin to think of some things. For eternity, no sickness or pain. For eternity, no weariness of the flesh, no weariness of the mind, no weariness of the heart. No war, not even a threat of war. No sin, ours or anyone else's. No separation, no hunger, no thirst. Full reality of the presence of God and Christ and the Holy Spirit in a place so glorious our minds cannot now fully comprehend it. Answers. To all of those vexing questions that trouble us in our lives, those questions that are essentially this, why did this have to happen? Answers to all of them, questions that, are, that so often rock our faith and cause us to stumble on our path, this hundredfold in part, I believe, can be, then we will know uh, so much more. And in the mind of God, we will understand that he did indeed do all to his glory and to the betterment of those who love him. 
a deep and ever-deepening understanding of God himself. Shared worship, I thought of this, and I just began to just, just list things. What could Christ be meaning he says a hundredfold, and I know that this, the true sense, of course, is that whatever we give, we're going to receive a hundredfold and eternal life. But I began to think about all the things. Think of this. Those who have forsaken all and have followed Christ in salvation, we one day will share in the worship and praise of God and Christ with Job, with Abraham, with Ruth and Esther with David and Jeremiah and Peter and Stephen and Paul and Lazarus and Mary and Martha and on and on and on to the dozens and dozens of other believers in Christ that we read about in the Bible. We could be here again all day. All day and we could share together the manifold blessings of God that will be ours in heaven. Those who have answered rightly the call of God to forsake all and follow him. It is just a simple statement of fact that it is the unbeliever who is short-sighted, not the believer. But the believer is often accused of being that, not seeing. When their behavior and their actions don't make sense to the world because they're forsaking all to follow Christ and a calling on their life, they are seen as unthoughtful, as radical, as, as rebellious, even if they are rebelling against people who are not godly. It is the unbeliever who is short-sighted in this, the instant gratification culture that is saturating our minds today is an effective tool in the hands of Satan. This instant gratification we want this now. Delayed gratification is a lost art. We want to put in a few work, few months, maybe even a few years at work and end up in the CEO's chair. We want to exercise and eat better for a few weeks and make up for years and years of inactivity and poor eating choices. We want to find the next big stock to buy and get rich overnight instead of steadily over a long period of time saving and living within our financial means so that we might find financial stability over decades of living within our means. We want sudden success without the tireless work necessary to reach it. And Satan has used that mindset as damaging as it is in these secular pursuits this instant gratification idea. As damaging as that is, they pale in comparison to the destruction that is caused by the desire to gratify our desires now in this temporary life with no real thought to where we will spend eternity. Why would someone forsake all to follow Christ? Why have so many already done so? Because they know what Jesus just said is true, I'm going to give you eternal life and blessings a hundredfold. A hundredfold blessings in exchange for any sacrifice they would make or we make or ever could make. You're going to listen to someone's promise about life and you're going to live accordingly. I'm going to say that again. You are going to listen to someone's promise about life and you're going to live accordingly. The question is, 
Whose promise are you listening to? Jesus promises here eternal life and blessings a hundredfold in eternity. You may not be listening to them. There's all kinds of people today who will give you all kinds of other promises, empty as they may be. You'll listen to the empty promises of the world or you will listen to the eternal promises of God. Which one are you listening to today? Which one are you listening to right now? Which one will you listen to tomorrow? I can tell you this. If I followed you around for a week, I could tell you who you're listening to. And if you followed me around for a week, you could do the same about me. It's not as hidden as we would like it to be. It's just not. There's no point in hiding it from ourselves if the answer to the question is not that we have forsaken all and followed God. The importance is to recognize it so that we then might bring ourselves before God and then answer it correctly. And that's what I want to end with. This whole parable, the reason I read it, and again, we could say so many things about it, but what I want to pull out of it is just one thing. This repeated call of God that goes on throughout the day. Let's just set very quickly the parable itself. There's the one who owns the vineyard, the householder in the King James. That's God. The marketplace is the world. The vineyard is the place where God, the householder, wants his laborers to be. The day is our whole lives. The denarius is the reward for services, which we've just outlined and talked about. Eternal life and blessings a hundredfold. Our focus that I want to bring to you today, though, is that this call of God, what is it? We've talked a little bit about what it is. When is it? All of the time. When he calls, this householder, it says he went out early in the morning before the, before the day began, really got started. And if the day represents our life, then this is one who God has come in their very young youth, in their very early years, and he's called them to his vineyard and they have responded. But he doesn't just call before the working day begins. The parable said he went out in the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, the 11th hour, one hour before the day was over, he's still going out and calling those who are idle to his vineyard. And he does the same for us today in his overall call. He calls us at all times. He went out again and again and again. He sent others even uh, to out. God calls early and he calls late and he calls everywhere in between. Whatever stage of life you are in, God calls you to his vineyard. He calls you to his purpose and to your purpose, whether you're young, whether you're entering adulthood, whether you're middle-aged or nearing the end of your life in old age, God calls you to forsake all and follow him. He wants you to recognize if you've not responded before the idleness that you're living in apart from him. Matthew chapter 20, verse 6, what we read about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all the day? It would be difficult to imagine the number of people who have failed to forsake all and follow Christ 
because they felt like it was not the right time. Too early. Too late. But in this parable, Jesus says, he went out before the day broke. Third hour, sixth hour, ninth hour, eleventh hour, come to the vineyard. And he comes to these people and he says, why would you stand here idle? And let me tell you this, that a life without Christ is idle. It's not going anywhere. But those who refuse and do not listen and do not hear and heed this call, they spend days, weeks, years, even decades in essential idleness of life, always walking but never getting anywhere, always working but never finishing, always searching but never finding. I say to you today that God calls at all times and the right time is when he calls. That is the time to forsake all and follow Christ regardless of what time it might be in your life. On the way to church today, Liam shared with us Boots Void. And if I get it right, he said, it's, a, it's an area in space that is big enough to hold millions of galaxies, but it's completely empty. As far as people can tell, there's nothing in it. I couldn't help but see a correlation. It's life without God. It's noticeable by what's not there more than what is. It's notable by a lack of real sense of peace and purpose and hope as much as by what is there. There seems to be something there, but nothing is apparent call of God is to forsake all and follow him. There is no denying that this is God's call. That call is going to take many different forms in our lives. Some will be sent to foreign lands as missionaries. Some will be called to preach. Some will be called to be housewives and mothers with the incredible, enormous task of raising the next generation. Some will be leaders in business who bear witness to Christ through their generosity, honesty, and integrity. There are all sorts of specific ways in which the call of God is followed, but all of them are the same at their core. It is to forsake all and follow Christ. It is not to disconnect ourselves from the world. It is to forsake it while we live in it. To never hold it so dear to our hearts that it gets between us and God. I hope you've done this already, that you've become a child of God and having forsaken the world and followed Christ, you're saved and you have that promise that God said, I'm going to give you eternal life and blessings a hundredfold. I hope you then do this every day of your life over and over and over again. For those who have never done this, I pray that you'll do so today. Christ came to the earth to pay for your sin so that a holy and righteous God would have it punished. He took your place on the cross so that you might take the new place that he has for you in his vineyard. But it will require of you forsaking all, all other hopes, all other trusts, and following Christ. Finally, the call of God is the only call that really matters. All the others just don't matter next to this one. 
Some people will say, I, I feel a call to be a teacher. I feel a call to be a mother. I feel a call to work in this particular line of work. I feel a call to this. I feel a call to that. And I'm not done playing any of those things. I think they're real. But I will tell you this. They better be secondary to the call of God. Or they will take the place of his call. And they'll lead you not to eternal life and blessing a hundredfold. They'll lead you to the emptiness of this world. He's calling. He calls at all hours of the day. I pray that you heed him and that you'll respond to him. That's my prayer, that you'll respond to him if he's calling. Let's have a song.